The Enneacast is sponsored in part by your Enneagram coach. Did you know that you can learn how to walk people through the Enneagram and see their lives transform right from the comfort of your own home while also making a great income? Find out how by going to yourenneagramcoach.com slash BEC. There you can become a certified coach and help others discover just who God made them to be. Again, that's yourenneagramcoach.com slash BEC. Like it's courageous for me to still go on walks with my kids, even if I know I'm going to at one point during the walk, imagine the biggest snake in the world coming and just like devouring on us or imagine a car hitting us or imagine my kid falling off the bike and getting a traumatic brain injury. I mean, I have that thought almost every time we're out, but I still go. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God and everyone else from Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I am Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. This season is all about story, and we are continuing through the head triad by looking at the story of Type 6, commonly known as... The Loyalist. All of our type episodes will be expounding on the content found in our workbook, Mapping Your Enneagram Story. So if you haven't yet listened to episode one from this season that walks you through this workbook and how to use it, I encourage you to do that first. Right. And to get a copy of the Mapping Your Enneagram Story workbook, go to mappingyourstory.com. You can listen to the season without going through it, but we do find that it's just a lot more beneficial for folks to actually go through the workbook. Uh, So I do encourage you to pick that up. So again, head over to mappingyourstory.com. So before we dive in, let's do a quick refresher. Type six, when they're healthy, they are reliable, they're dependable. They are committed to security, they're responsible, they're steady, they're honorable, and they are the original Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts of America. (laughs) Yeah, but that's all the good stuff. I have to say all the bad stuff. (laughs) Yeah, crush their spirits. (laughs) And when sixes are unhealthy, they tend to worry, assume the worst. They can become self-doubting and uncertain. They are suspecting and uptight. So this season, we're looking at how the Enneagram Plus life story equals clarity. We really need both of these components in order to have a full picture of who we are. So let's explore the story for type six. So Sam, where does that story start? So it starts in childhood. And for sixes, they have a childhood theme of danger or unpredictability. So a lot of sixes will report having an overbearing parent that had kind of emotionally erratic tendencies that kind of always walking on eggshells, never really knowing how the parent was going to react to certain things. And so they came really kind of concerned with the issue of safety and security kind of from an early age that grew up too quickly in a lot of ways. Jesse, what are some other examples that you've heard? Well, there, in Enneagram theory, they say that there's more sixes in the world than any other type. And that's because the world is just an unpredictable place. So unlike, you know, maybe for some of us that have grown up in Western culture where there's a certain level of stability, a lot of people around the world are growing up in places where war and famine and sickness and disease really truly have eradicated a lot of life around them. So sixes, you know, they they grew up in environments, whether, you know, regardless of culture, where uncertain and unpredictable things are always around the corner. So maybe it's, you know, a parent 
is coming home drunk at night. Maybe a parent loses a job. Uh, maybe there was a car accident that happens. Maybe they learned that family members couldn't be depended on. But there's just a sense in which the unpredictable is what you should always predict and look out for. So if you have a copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, look through the life turns that you mapped and take note if you see this theme of danger or unpredictability appear in any of the life turns that you mapped. Growing up with this theme leads the child six to believe an unconscious message, which it's not okay to depend on or trust yourself. Okay, so yeah, so in this scenario, it's one where danger is outside of me, right? Like Mm -hmm. everything outside of me is like unpredictable. I'm not exactly sure who I can truly trust. I'm not exactly sure what's going to get thrown at me. But also, often, sixes are taught in various ways by the authorities in their life that they really can't trust themselves either. You know, the authorities in their life might tell them constantly, don't forget to do this. Don't forget to, you want to make sure you don't do this. Only certain people would ever do that. Don't do that. And so the six learns over time, I have to check in with the authorities in my life because I will forget to do something important or I will make a bad judgment call. So the six learns, I can't trust myself and I also can't trust other people either. So naturally, all this unpredictability and instability leads them to desire a good thing, which is to be secure. You know, we see in scripture all the time that the Lord is our shepherd. He is our strong fortress. He's our security. It's a it's a good desire that sixes have, you know, especially given their story, who wouldn't crave security and stability in, so, in a situations like that. So all this stuff happens in their early childhood. And this backstory sets the stage for the nurturing of our false self. And it really starts when the six begins to settle. So we're all prone to settle for substitutes. And for the six, what they want is to be secure. That's a good thing. They want to be secure. But what they end up settling for is safety. And the difference between these two things is that security comes from a posture of rest and a posture of not a naive assumption, but a healthy assumption that I'm secure and I'm okay. Safety is about sort of a vigilance. I'm going to create a place that is safe and I'm going to account for any dangers that can come my way. I'm assuming I'm not safe and I'm going to make this place safe. And here's why uh, the six begins to settle for safety. Safety promises them two things. It promises them protection. I'm going to protect you from this, um, all these unpredictabilities in the world, all these threats that are going to come against you. I'm going to protect you from those things. And the second thing that offers them is an exit plan. And the reason the exit plan is important is because it allows the six to remain in control. It allows the six to say, I am not going to entrust myself to anybody else. I'm always going to have a contingency plan so that I don't have to fully trust other people. It's about control and it's about lack of trust. And because the six begins to believe that safety is going to give them what they want, over time, safety becomes an idol. And the six will easily devote themselves to feeling as safe as possible and even be willing to go to great lengths in order to gain it. Uh, And in fact, they begin to sacrifice three good things in order to please this idol of safety. What are those three things? Okay, so the first thing that they sacrifice is feeling carefree and relaxed. Like if you've ever been at a playground, you know, and it's like a six parent Mm -hmm. and their kids are running around the playground, you will not find a relaxed and carefree six parent at the playground. Don't do that. Don't do this. Never get on the monkey bars. Stop running. You're going to trip. You're going to fall. Like there's sort of an ever vigilance. And so you cannot relax because the moment you relax, it means you've not accounted for something and you're going to get hurt. The second thing is that they have to sacrifice trusting God and other people. Inherently, if you love safety 
it assumes that other people are not going to think about you. Other people are going to mess up. Other people are going to screw you over. And so you can't trust other people to really advocate for you. And you definitely can't trust God uh, to show up whenever you need him to. The third thing is that they sacrifice trusting their own ideas and beliefs. So not only do they not trust God, not only do they not trust other people, but I really can't even trust myself. What if I haven't thought through everything? What if I'm seeing this wrong? What if I'm, you know, applying myself in the wrong way? What if my gifts aren't as great as I think that they are? And so there's this incredible insecurity that, that grows inside of the six as a result of this, this idol of safety. And in this pursuit of safety, in this cycle of constantly sacrificing to this idol, the six creates perfect conditions to grow their deadly sin. I mean, I hear it in all of the ways that they try to, to stay safe. And the deadly sin for the six is fear. And we talk about fear for all of the members of the head triad, and we all experience healthy doses of fear. But I think the six, it just manifests itself in such grandiose ways that it's fear for the six is is greater and more nuanced and, and kind of more all-encompassing than fear for the rest of us. It tends to have a, just a greater tenacity, you know. Yeah. The, the fear of a six in particular just takes on a relentlessness. It's like the dog that is bitten onto something and will not let go. It's just got this this real ferocity to it. Okay, so here's how the six grows fear in pursuit of safety. They grow it through doubt, through paranoid thoughts, suspicion, and catastrophic thinking. And so it's just you can get this picture of somebody who's never, never relaxed, never satisfied, never content. They can't trust anything. They can't trust themselves. They can't trust the Lord. Yeah, and you take note of the fact, too, that like all of this is happening in their head, right? You just talked about doubt, paranoid thoughts, suspicion, catastrophic thinking. That's the head triad, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's all of this stuff is about their internal world and their way of thinking and perceiving about the world around them. So again, if you have mapping your Enneagram story, take a look at your emotional map and notice some of your dominant emotions. Can you see fear attached to any of these? And if you're like, well, I don't really have any fear. I see you counterphobic sixes. Uh, you may need to do some more work because often our fears is growing unnoticed. And that's because sin is adaptable. It learns how to defend itself. And the sixes defense of their sin is through their psychological defense mechanism known as projection. And here's what projection is. Projection is just seeing things about yourself and others rather than yourself and then treating those other people as if your own issues are their issues. Okay. So here's my little projection nugget for you. Okay, Batman. <laughs> um, so in the Batman-like stories, there's a character called Scarecrow. And what Scarecrow does is that he uses what he calls fear gas. He uses this toxin. It makes the other person hallucinate. And whatever they are most afraid of is how that person begins to perceive the world. So a character that is like terrified of zombies is suddenly going to look around and everybody around them looks like zombies. And then that person begins to treat the world around them as if those zombies are real and those zombies are really going to hurt them. When in reality, none of that is happening. Wow. And I think it should be renamed projection gas. And that's why it's called a deadly sin. Fear is destructive, but it tries to disguise itself as a good or helpful thing. So for the six, the inner mantra that they end up living by is the dangers of the world justify my fear. And surely there are. There are real dangers in the world. And, and a certain degree of awareness about that is healthy and good. So it's not to say ignore threats. Right. Uh, but to slide into a place in which I worship safety and the world 
I'm going to blame the world, the danger of the world for my worship of safety is where a line gets crossed and it really begins to do damage to the soul. So where does this all leave the six? It leaves them feeling anxious, afraid and untrusting. And so what started as a good desire to be secure has now gone horribly off track. Yeah, but the good news is this. God does not leave us there. And for every person, there's a moment in our story when we encounter Jesus. And in Jesus, here's what we see. Sixes, in Jesus, we see the true loyalist. So, Sam, what are some of the ways that we see Jesus as the true loyalist? I think about his complete loyalty to the Father throughout his whole years of ministry and even, you know, his whole life, really, his just obedience to the Father and his calling. We see it through, you know, he stayed true to his disciples, even though he knew one would betray him. Like, and he just had absolute trust. He was able to to sleep through storms and walk on water and, and do all of these things because he trusted that he would be okay. Yeah. And he had this deep, deep identity of belonging to the kingdom of God. You know, for six, so many sixes, there's that sense of like, where do I belong? And Jesus carried such a deep, even in the middle of this world where he didn't belong, he carried this deep sense of belonging to God and his kingdom. So in order for anyone to gain our trust, they have to give us two things. They have to empathize with our wounds and they have to show us their authority. And Jesus gives us both of these things. So six is, how does Jesus empathize with your wounds? Jesus's life from birth to death was marked by danger, threats, and unpredictability. Jesus knows what it is to be under constant threat and to have unpredictability around every corner. He empathizes with that wound. He also shows us his authority by affirming our true self. He was obedient to the law of God. He kept the law. He followed the rules. He he did all the right things, you know, but he also confronts the false self. He told others not to fear, but to trust. In Mark 5, we see that he said to the ruler of the synagogues, do not fear, only believe. So the question is this, how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus uphold the law of God, totally obey the Father, trust in such a deeply profound way, and still get wounded and still get hurt and still get attacked, and yet he never gave in to the sin of fear? Like, how? How is that possible? And I believe it's possible because he believed the father who told him, you are safe in my care. What does he pray? Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. That is such a deep level of trust of God. I know you're going to take care of me and that I can trust you. So six is he turns to you and he says, you are safe in my care. Matthew 14, 29 says, he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. And out of believing this message that Jesus speaks to us, we start to see the redemption of our true self. The Holy Spirit is able to work into the six what they originally wanted, which is to be secure. And one of the ways he often does this is through the virtue of courage. When I think of courage, you know, it's easy to think of the cowardly lion from the Wizard of Oz who who needed courage, you know, but I also think of somebody who steps out on a rickety bridge, you know, looking at their family on the other side and trying to trust that this, each step that they take, they'll, they'll make it through. It's something small as, as confronting a boss about a, a problem that they see in the workplace. All those butterflies that are in your stomach, but just pushing through that and knowing that I'm standing up for integrity, I'm standing up for what's right, I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, it is. it's that ability to act as if you are trusting 
despite your fear. Yeah. My fear is not going to make my decisions for me. Yeah. My trust is. It's not ignoring fear yeah. and, and living in spite of it, but it's just acting with it. And that's why, you know, we say of all the Enneagram types, sixes are the most courageous. They are the most brave. They are the ones that do, that, that step out in the face of danger more than any other type. Yeah. So instead of growing the deadly sin of fear, this virtue of courage actually grows something else. And what it grows for the six is confidence. And that's a real gift for the six because so often they they second guess themselves, they doubt themselves. But as they live increasingly courageously, they're able to say, you know what? I can step forward with confidence in trusting God and in trusting that he is talking to me and speaking in and through me. Again, refer to mapping your Enneagram story timeline here. Where do you see courage growing through any of your turns? If you don't see it, that's okay. Virtues, you know, they take time to grow. So ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And if you do see courage, then praise the Lord. He's redeeming your story and making you more complete in Him. And as the six continues to walk with God and be transformed, instead of reflecting a fearful and an anxious spirit, their true self starts to reflect God's character. And here's what the six reflects back to the world about God. You guys reflect God's faithfulness and courage. And this story isn't just an invitation for sixes. There's an invitation for all of us here. And that is to trust God speaking inside of you and to trust that his goodness is working around you. Well, that is the Enneagram story for type sixes. When we come back, we will be talking with author and podcaster, Jamie Ivey. Stay with us. The Enneacast is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood offers social justice internships supported by Christian community for young adults, just like Cameron Presson from Tennessee. When I came to LTN, I was halfway through a theology degree, and I was really eager to put hands and feet to the ideas uh, that I so often talked about in academic settings. And so for me, I'm able to see the Bible as extremely relevant to today's context in all contexts because I see how the Bible is speaking into and against issues of injustice and how Jesus is constantly serving and loving and elevating the marginalized. Ready to see how Love Thy Neighborhood could impact your life? Learn more and apply at lovethyneighborhood.org. Hey, welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Our guest today is Jamie Ivey. Jamie is a podcaster, a writer, and a speaker. She has a passion for helping women develop a stronger relationship with God. Her podcast, The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey, has featured guests like Beth Moore, Emily P. Freeman, Jackie Hill Perry. Her book, If Only You Knew, came out in 2018. She lives with her husband, Aaron, and four kids in Austin, Texas, and... She is a six on the Enneagram. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Thanks, guys. I'm so happy to be here. And I am for sure a six. (laughs) Well, good. I'm glad that we can confirm it. Our work here is done. (laughs) You have confirmed Uh, it already. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, tell us a little bit about your introduction to the Enneagram and if it plays any role in your life now. Yeah, I was trying to think about that earlier today. I'm not sure when I first heard about the Enneagram. I I interviewed Suzanne Sabel a couple of years ago, and that was, you know, where I had to really do my research before I I chatted with her. And so I think I'm probably one of those people who, you know, what do you call them when they get on the bandwagon? So, you know, probably two or three years ago is when I started going, hey, what is this and how do I learn about it? And I took a I took a test online, which, you know, isn't the best way to figure out your number. And it said that I was a two. And I later learned uh, that a lot of 
Southern women and a lot of Christian women will test as a two because we're, you know, we're supposed to be nice people and help people because we love Jesus. But after I started reading and doing some more research just about the numbers, it was really confirmed I was a six, even though I wanted to be a three, you guys, if if everyone can tell what number you (laughs) wish you were, I wanted to be a three. The people I work with the most are threes and my husband is a three. And, um, and I keep coming back to, I definitely know that this core motivator in me is this fear, fear of a lot of things. And so I have loved it as a, like an addition to my life to help me see through the lens of why I might do and maybe really why I would think the things that I think. Yeah. So what attributes really stuck out with you the first time you heard about the type six description? Probably the uh, worst case scenario attribute of, you know, like sixes can tend to think things through a lot. And so I'll give you a handful of examples. This just happened the other day. We've been taking a lot of walks, which we took walks a lot before, you know, self-quarantine, but it's been kind of upped a little bit. So we're taking a lot of walks. And I was talking to my husband and my friend, Alex. Alex is living with us right now as well. He's 21. And so we're walking along and the kids are riding their bikes and things. And I said to them, I said, you know, what's crazy is every time we go up this hill in our neighborhood, I literally imagine a car coming and hitting the children and killing them. And they both looked at me like, that's the worst thing I can ever think about. Why would you do that? And they said, I've never once thought that in my entire life. And it's interesting because I think things like that all the time and not necessarily are they all morbid, but it is this kind of, if this were to happen, what would I do? And I think that was something that I really related to. And then also you guys talked about this just previously, that projection of taking something that I fear and put it on someone who has done nothing to make me think that about them. That is something that I can struggle a lot. I see that particularly in my marriage of me and projecting onto Aaron that he will cheat on me. And there's, he's done nothing to make me think that, um, we haven't had struggles like that, but I can still after 19 years of a completely faithful, amazing husband, it's a common thought of mine of what will I feel like when Aaron tells me that he's leaving me. And so that I guess that's a long way of saying some of those attributes were the the fear, the worst case scenario, the projection, all of those things I can feel describe me a lot. So uh, so I am married to a six. And so uh, so everything you're describing, like I can't tell you the number of times that my wife says the exact same thing. She'll be like, like going over a hill. You know, what if a car came over? Absolutely. Or I'll say, did you talk to your parents? She'll go, yeah. And I had the thought, what if this is the last time I talk to them? Oh, my gosh. I cannot tell you how many times when Aaron drives off with one of my kids, I think, what would life be like if they were both gone? Because they're both uh in the car. I mean, all the time. And I listened to a show that you guys did. I've been listening to you guys for a long time. I love your show. I'm a huge fan. And you said something that really resonated with me when you talked about your wife. You said that you you, you played the scenario about of driving a car. And then two mm-hmm. semi trucks on the side of you. Oh yeah. And your wife would say, "You're really scaring me," and I was like, "Yeah, I say that all the time." Like, Aaron, you're really scaring me. And the truth is, like, Aaron or you in this story are not doing anything. You're just driving in your lane, and these two semi trucks happen to come up beside you. And it really helped me think about what's scaring me. I can't project that onto Aaron because he's not doing anything wrong. But this outside scenario is kind of 
scaring me. So I loved that example that you gave. And I was like, yes, this is my life all the yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other day, my wife threw it back in my face. She did something. And I said, you're annoying me. And she goes, I can't annoy you, but you can be annoyed. And I was <laughs> like, oh, man, oh, that man. backfired big time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if it's OK, I want to switch gears just a little bit and, t- and start talking about childhood and childhood wounds. Many sixes describe a theme of danger or unpredictability. So looking back, does that feel true for you? And in what way? You know, I've heard that about sixes. And and when I've done a couple of interviews about being an Enneagram six myself, that has come up. And and I honestly can't think of much. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say the most Enneagram th- six thing you could possibly think of. <laughs> I've, all, I've mentioned this to my counselor, actually, and I'm always worried that we're going to find something that I don't know about, you know? So there's this <laughs> yeah. fear of if I dig in, then there's going to be some big secret that I never knew about. And I'd rather just not know if that's not the most Enneagram six. I don't know what it is. That's good. So I... I've thought about this before and I just can't, I had a great family, mom and dad. I mean, we had the same, none of our struggles were ginormous in my mind looking back. And so as an adult in my twenties, um, I, I saw some people close to me, um, hurt their marriage and their spouses with infidelity that was in my twenties that happened. And so I can see that as something that there's already a fear inside of me. I remember as a kid, constantly fearing my dad was going to die. I mean, just, just had this weird, weird, always feeling my dad was going to die nightmares. And then I get married and I'm, I'm constantly feeling, fearing that Aaron's going to die. And then the hurt that I walked through with people close to me who had hurt their own marriages. Now I'm now projecting that fear onto Aaron. Like I said earlier, with one of my just greatest fears being, you know, my husband cheating on me. I think it's a great fear for a lot of women in the world, but it affects me differently, I think, because I live in this mindset of this would be the worst case and it's probably going to happen to me. Yeah, I learned several years ago that when Lindsay and I have an argument that it's important that if I'm walking away that I say, hey, I'm not leaving you. We will be fine. We will figure this out. I'm not going to abandon you, but I need space right now. Because if I don't say, if I don't affirm that in her mind, that's a very real possibility. And so, yeah, so all the stuff you're saying, I'm like, I, we have, I've seen this movie. I know this, I know this plot. I love this movie. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's that safe and security. And I, 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 I've said that word way before I knew about the Enneagram. I would, if Aaron and I were just having like this special moment, I, one of the things I would say to him, and this is before I had any knowledge of the Enneagram, I would say, you make me feel so safe. And now with knowledge of the Enneagram, I can see that that is one of my greatest desires in life is to feel safe. Mm-hmm. And, um, in arguments like you were saying, or in seasons of difficulty within our marriage, that feeling of, I don't feel safe right now, it is so heightened. And if you were to ask Aaron, if he doesn't feel safe or if our marriage is on the rocks, he would laugh. You know, he'd be like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then I'm over here internalizing, oh, this is the end. Like we're not going to make it because we had this one little argument and the Enneagram has actually helped me grow so much in that area where I can look back and say, those things used to really, really affect me. And, and I think about now these thoughts have not stopped. Like I still have these thoughts all the time. I told you, I just had the thought the other day about a car hitting my kid on a bike. Like I have these thoughts all the time. And with you being married to a six, our brains are crazy. The things that are going on, but 
my growth is where the gospel comes in. And I know that you guys talk about that a lot. And so that is where for me, I can say I can still have these thoughts, but they don't have to put me under and I don't have to stand on them as my truth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the gospel then. You know, so God's message to the six is you are safe in my care. What part of that message resonates with you? And is there a time in your life where that message really became profoundly apparent to you? You know, I talk, I was about 10 years ago, I was saying to a girlfriend that my greatest fear was Aaron cheating on me and I was talking with her about, and I was giving her a lot of backstory of where I had hurt, been hurt with that. And, and I said, but the good news is I know Aaron would never do that to me. And she looked me straight in the eyes and says, you, you don't know that. Like he's fully capable of that. And, you know, I believe that sin can make us do things that we never thought we would. And that, you know, I'm like one step away from jail all the time. Like I'm just capable <laughs> yeah, of things, right, guys, right, by the grace right. of God, right? Yeah. The grace of God is here. Um, but what that did for me is it took me down this journey of taking my worst fears, whether that be my kids getting cancer or Aaron cheating on me or no one ever listening to my show again and everyone thinking that everything I say is stupid and ridiculous, taking all of those fears and then bringing them to the Lord. And at the end, go all the way to the end. I had, I had a girlfriend t- tell me this one time. She said, Jamie, take that fear all the way to the end and what is still true. And for me, that taught me like I can take my worst case scenario all the way to the end and I can still trust that God loves me. I can still trust that he's for me. I can still trust that he's good. I can still trust that he has not left me. I can actually still even trust that he will get glory and use this for somehow. So is that easy? No, like that takes a lot of just like discipline over years. It takes a lot of being in the word. It takes a lot of people reminding you of the truth. But I can see in the past 10 years growth in that area that has changed my anxiety and changed my fear in so many ways of me actually believing if this happens, I still believe in God and I still trust him and I know he still loves me and is still for me. Mm, it's beautiful. Yeah, that's really good. It's also very brave to trust that bold, big truth that God is still for me and that God is still good. So we talk about how sixes are the most courageous and the most brave. So where have you seen courage grow in your life as a result of believing God's message to you? Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I don't feel that way a lot. Yeah. Um, And, you know, listening to you guys talk about that earlier, I think I got even a little teary eyed because I was like, I... I, I mean, here's, I did something brave yesterday and this is like the dumbest thing in the world, you guys. Right. So I'm working on a new book and they sent me some, some typesetting options. Right. And for me, normally I would run that by my husband. I would run it by my assistant and maybe even ask a friend, which one do you like? Which one do you like? And I just made all the decisions by myself. And that sounds so dumb, but I felt so like I can conquer the world right now because I just told them what I wanted and I didn't ask anybody else. And so that is It's so tiny, but to me, it was so big. And so, you know, I think courageous for a six would be where there's so much growth. Like it's courageous for me to still go on walks with my kids, even if I know I'm going to at one point during the walk, imagine the biggest snake in the world coming and just like devouring on us or imagine a car hitting us or imagine my kid falling off the bike and getting a traumatic brain injury. I mean, I have that thought almost every time we're out, but I still go, you know, and I still put my kids on bikes and I still go on walks and I still trust. And so maybe that's me being brave. You know, I've never thought about the bravery that it takes for a six to still do the things that make them afraid. 
Yeah. My my wife started jogging on her own in our neighborhood recently, and we live in a safe neighborhood. All the stats say it, but that's a journey for her to even go out by herself because she does the same thing. What if there's a guy around the corner? What if he kidnaps me? Like those those are the real thoughts, you know, that, that sixes deal with. Yeah. You know? One thing that has helped Aaron and I in our marriage is I told him about a year and a half ago, I said, you know what? It, and I, maybe I'm going to help you out here too, Jess, if you don't ever, if you don't do this with your okay, wife. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll tell him these worst case things. And, and again, this is so real to me. I'm not like trying to make a movie here. This is my everyday life. <laughs> like this is what happens in my head all day long. And he would say to me, Jamie, that is so dumb. That, that actually could never happen. You're being ridiculous. And I felt belittled. I felt yeah. unsafe, you know? And so I told Aaron one day, I said, hey, you know what really helped me? Like, I know you think this is dumb and I know you think this is stupid. But if you would say to me, I bet that's really scary. And and that changed so much in our marriage because now he'll look at me and say, you know what? That would be really sad if that happened. And then we both move on. And it's a chore for him to do that because he wants to say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, Jamie. Like, this is stupid. But when he said that to me, I actually felt really seen and loved and safe. And so there's a little tip for all of you people that are married to sixes. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> Tell Aaron I've made the same mistake. I may or may not on many occasions throughout many years have said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever oh, heard. Of course, uh, because it is to you. It is yeah, to you. It's so yeah. dumb. So as sixes live into the gospel message and live into courage, they start to reflect their true selves in Christ. You know, what gifts of your true self do you bring to the people in the world around you? Um, you know, as a mom, I have this idealistic view uh, that my family will end up like the TV show Parenthood, not with like the characters and all that kind of thing. Or, you know, I'm not talking about the specific people, but the fact that these family. They stick together through hard times. They're there for each other. They show up every Sunday and they eat dinner together and everyone loves each other no matter what. And that to me is what I, I want to be that for them. Like I want my kids to know that I'm here for you, that I believe in you, that I am going to be steady for you no matter what. And I think that that is a, a huge asset. That's one of the ways that I can see that playing out. Yeah. Okay. So one last question for you. If you could give advice to a younger six, what piece of advice would you give to them? I think what I would do is, you know, I, I was going to say like, learn to trust yourself. And that's like, okay, well, how do I do that? But I think one of the ways that you do learn to trust yourself is by putting community around you that also believes in you. I think that's been one of the best things for me in the past, even like 10 years of my life is having people around me that see attributes in me and see traits in me and can encourage me when I am doing things that I have made a decision on. And so learning to trust yourself is, I think, a community thing. And so asking people to tell you, hey, what are you seeing in me? And so I guess I would tell them, build a community around you that you can trust uh, that's also going to then in turn help you learn to trust yourself. Mm, I love it. So I good. love that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So listen, when we come back, we're going to be playing Hot Seat with Jamie Ivey. So stay with us. In today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring the story of type number six. Of all the personalities on the Enneagram, they're the most courageous. Well, if you'd like to explore a story of courage, check out our other podcast, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. And specifically, check out episode number 27, where the gospel meets Dr. John M. Perkins. Look, just give me one name. 
He just, he didn't flinch. Shane just went, John Perkins. Are you kidding? That's John Perkins. He can say whatever he wants to. That's not God's voice. The justice rolled down that one. He said, get some of those kids together and pray for Brother John because they're going to kill him. You can listen to the Love That Neighborhood podcast by listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. Or by heading over to lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Again, lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Cast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And right now, it's time for Hot Seat. Okay, our game today is called Hot Seat. It's based off a real game by the company Player 10. So here's how it works. I'm going to read a question off a card, and then, Jamie, you are going to write down your answer to that question. At the same time, Sam is also going to write down what she thinks your answer is. Okay. Sam will reveal her answer first, and then you'll reveal your actual answer. If they match or if they're close, Sam gets a point. And if they don't match or they're not close, then you get a point. We're going to play through five rounds. Best out of five wins. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. Ready, I think. Okay. (laughs) Okay, here we go. What did 10-year-old Jamie want to be when she grew up? What did 10-year-old Jamie want to be when she grew up? Hmm, I have no idea. Um... Astronaut. Farmer. Cowgirl. Okay, I think I have it. You think you have it? Yeah, I have, okay. I have an answer. I don't know. I'm going to guess one. that Jamie has it because it's her life. So <laughs> right, uh, right. Uh, so Sam, what was your guess? Teacher. Teacher. Jamie, your answer. Sam, that's right. <laughs> what in the world? Yes. What little girl didn't want to be a teacher when they grew up, though? There you go. I'm going to give myself a point. Man, that <laughs> there you was... Go. I love that, it. You earned that point. That was yeah, impressive. Yeah, I'm giving myself three points. I really thought you were going to say something <laughs> a million miles from the truth. So. No. Wow. Okay. Question number two. What is the worst place someone could take Jamie on a first date? Oh. What is the worst place someone could take Jamie on a first date? Okay. Jamie, do you have an answer? I have like seven. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll stick with the first one I wrote down, but. Okay. Okay. No, I need you to stick with all seven just for <laughs> my wants options. Just for my Same wants options. <laughs> okay. I said somewhere with snakes. I didn't know like if that's a specific place that exists, but. Like I, the zoo? No, like, <laughs> like a garden or forest, like wild snakes, not just like in cages or in. So boxes. it is a place that has a lot of wild snakes. Yeah. Okay. That was my. Like, like. Joe like Exotics. Or like Joe Exotics yeah. Farms. Place, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jamie? I put hot air balloon ride. Oh. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. that would be a really nice first date, but you just couldn't pay me enough money to get in one. Yeah. What, nope, were, some of your, what, was, what were some of your backups? Snor- I put snorkeling, but again, that's not really a first date. It's just, you know, I almost actually wrote down hiking, so but I didn't. I like to hike, but again, the whole time I'm scanning the horizon for danger mm-hmm. right around the corner <laughs> yeah not enjoyable 
Darn. So uh, do I get half a point? Nope. You get nothing. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jamie's my, got a point. Sam's point got system. a point. Happy or sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Her score now is sad. Okay. Um, question number three. We're all at a potluck. What did Jamie bring? I don't know. A signature like, this is pot- real life. If you were going to invite me to a potluck right now, what would I bring? Yeah. Okay. Do you have any signature dishes? No, see, no, you can't, you're fishing. Oh, uh, you're right. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something practical that everybody likes. Okay, something practical. And pa- paper plates is not an answer. Yes, it is. That's You have to bring that to a potluck. Okay, fair enough. Okay. Okay, Sam, what is your answer? Chocolate chip cookies. Okay, Jamie? Again, I wrote down three things just so we can all be prepared here. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the first thing I actually wrote is this is true because I don't know if it's my life or because I'm a six, but I would be like, can I please bring something I can just buy on Amazon and have shipped to your house? And so I'd be like, mm-hmm. I'll bring all the plates and napkins and silverware. Told my you. second thing I wrote down was anything that Aaron made because Aaron is the one that cooks at our house. And then the third one I wrote down, like, you know, I don't think we should give Sam any points here, but I did write down store-bought cookies. Oh, <laughs> and I don't get any points. Oh, no, because that's... I'm writing down three just in case. You know, but the second one doesn't count. Would you? Would you? Let me ask. And Jesse said the first one doesn't count. Would you have said paper plates? I would have said like something practical, like napkins or or cups or something. Yeah, give it to her. I'm fine. Okay. Yes. Uh, Sam, you get a point. <laughs> I gave myself a point. <laughs> <laughs> well, look who's suddenly asserting herself. <laughs> uh, okay. Here we go. Question four. What breed would Jamie be? If she were a dog. Oh, okay. What breed would Jamie Can be? Can I give myself a couple options? If she were a dog. Who, where, you guys are both <laughs> giving yourself all these options. I only have one this time. I'll tell you that much. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so pick your poison there, Sam. I need to, I need to put three down. No, you can't. You got to pick one. <laughs> okay. I'm going to write down the first one. I think I spelled it wrong. What did you put, Sam? A golden retriever. A golden retriever. Jamie, but is I... golden retriever correct? Okay, listen, we already gave you one, Sam, so you do not get a point for this. <laughs> golden Doodle, which is oh, what I have, oh, and it's the a best golden dog doodle. ever. So Are it's half kidding? Golden Retriever. <laughs> so I, I get a half a point. No, you don't. You don't get <laughs> For something being golden, no. They're, yeah. It's a crossbreed. I have to get half a point. That's fine. Yeah. I'm fine. Okay, here we go. Final question. What is Jamie's favorite Enneagram number? What personality type is she most attracted to and enjoys the company of the most? Sam, you wrote down an answer very quickly. Yeah, I said three. And Jamie, is three correct? Well, I knew Sam was going to write that because I told you guys I'm surrounded by threes. Yeah. But you know who's but the she most doesn't fun, actually like them. Oh, wait, no. Seven. the sevens. Yeah. yeah. Torn. I mean, I lo- I'm surrounded by threes and I love them all. But, you know, who doesn't love to hang out with a seven? That's true. Seven is true. Yeah, and that is my wing. Favorites. Yep. Okay, so wait. So where do we land then? So, Sam, you have Sam three? Wine. No, I have two. I didn't oh. get a point for Golden Retriever. I had to give it to Jamie. Oh, that's right. So, <laughs> Jamie Ivy, you are our winner of Hot Seat. Awesome. Congratulations. I'm giving us each two and a half points. Uh, no, you cannot give each other two and a half points. There's no tying in this. There's no half points. Quit nining this thing. <laughs> I would just like to win. <laughs> All right. Uh, and now it is time for listener questions.
Okay, this question comes from Chandra Quinn. How do six wing sevens deal with thinking worst case scenarios while also having big ideas at the same time? Oh, that's good. I mean, one of the the hard things for me is I love big ideas. As someone who's creating podcasts, creating content, creating events, like I love big ideas. But the thing that is kind of my crutch maybe is that I need to ask people if they also like it as well. And so I think that is, again, I said this earlier, it's just it's who you surround yourself with. And I don't think you need to surround yourself with yes people by any means. No one wants that. But to surround yourself with people who can encourage you when you do have a great idea and help you make it happen. I love big ideas and I do think through them all the way, but I like having people around me that can actually make it happen. Let me ask this nuanced question within this question. You know, how much when you're envisioning a big idea, like how much of Do you ever run into scenarios where you're like, man, that really seems like a hassle, like the complexity of this seems sort of like a burden more than a benefit? To do the big idea? Yeah. Um, I think one of my strong suits is, is I can see what is the the return on this. Like if we're talking through work stuff, I mean, that's something that I'm thinking about a lot. Like, okay, this is a big idea. What is the return on this? I'll give you a scenario. Actually, my assistant came up with a big idea the other day. And of course, I thought of all the things that would make this difficult, all the things that would make this hard. And at the end of the day, we tweaked it a little bit because I wanted to know what's the return on this? Like, what is this going to do for us as a company? And so I think that answers your question is I will think more not, is this a hassle or a burden, but I will think what's the outcome going to be like? And I've gotten pretty good at guessing the outcome because I feel like I take it apart so many times. Mm, That's good. That's good. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. helpful. Uh, Okay, this question comes from Matthew D. Landrum. How can I soothe a six's fears? Oh, Matthew. Um, A couple things. Like number one, what I said earlier is to not belittle them. I think that for certain personalities, it would be super easy to think that's an irrational fear. And, and again, I'm I'm fully aware that a lot of my fears, most of them are irrational, but to me, they're so real. And so I think one of the things that you could not do is to belittle that fear. Another thing is, I mean, the gospel is what will calm all of our fears. And so without sounding churchy and cheesy, but that is actually the truth is that to be able to present the gospel to them in a way that says this fear that you feel so intense, if it happens, if this actually becomes a reality, what is still true about God? Like that's been so helpful for me is to walk through the entire scenario is that the things that are still, the things I can stand on, the truth of God's word, his character attributes, those things don't change no matter if my fear comes true or it doesn't. And so I think just encouraging that in in the Enneagram six person is a really big help. Yeah, that's good. This Okay, so this question comes from Jen to Grotenhuis. What are some tips for relinquishing control of people and situations? How can we let others just be? Oh, that's good. Well, Jen, can you give me some tips too? You know, I'm thinking through this and my current relationship status as a, as a parent, I'll think through it as a parent lens and I have, you know, teenagers. And so my kids are growing into who they're going to be. And I think one of the hardest things for me 
that I would imagine it comes from being a six because my husband doesn't necessarily struggle with this is just, it's not showing my kids grace and it's not letting them find themselves and it's not letting them, you know, screw up in a safe environment. It's the fear that I had that plagues me that if they mess up in this particular way, that that would mean they're damned for the rest of their life or they would, they're going to Next, the next step is addiction, you know, and so I will take that leap from a mess up to addiction in three seconds. And, you know, that's been something I've had to do is, and that's not about like letting them be who they're going to be by any means, but it's letting them experience the gospel, you know, and letting them experience love and forgiveness and safety within their home is I can inadvertently put something on them that isn't true of them if that makes sense. And, you know, when you're parenting teenagers, they make dumb mistakes, you know, and we all did. Oh my gosh. And so for me, it's having to not take a dumb mistake that I'm actually grateful it happened in our home so we can teach and direct and guide and not labeling them as that dumb mistake forever. Does that make sense? Yeah. And one of the hard lessons I'm learning recently in life, uh, again, is that the more you try to control somebody, the more resistant they'll be and the less likely they are to actually learn or or even head towards the good thing you're trying to lead them towards. You know, it's, it's Jesse, you said something at the very beginning of the show. You said like a six would be the the mom on the playground that's like, don't run too fast. You know, that's constantly saying that. And I literally wrote down, but if I don't say it, who's going to say it? And so I have this feeling in my head of, if I don't make sure my kids know about all of the dangers in the world, who will and how will they survive? I have to tell them about everything that could possibly go wrong in their life. And I don't think that's always the best thing as a parent, you know? And so I'm having to learn, like you said, of just kind of letting that go a little bit, even though I think I had this responsibility to make sure they know every possible thing that could go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jamie, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. This was fun. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate all the things you guys are doing so much. Well, thanks to our special guest today, Jamie Ivey. Again, her podcast is called The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. You can find her podcast, her book, and her blog all by going to jamieivey.com. That's jamieivey.com. As always, thank you to our friends at Crosspoint Ministry who trained us in the Enneagram. You can learn more about their work at crosspointministry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Come serve with us for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself, Sam Stevenson, and Rachel Zabo. Engineering and editing by the Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Community.